Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. If you have ever smelled burnt hair in a bar with too many candles, you have smelled my attempts at nightlife. This program features the work of 2015 writer Emily Bedard. Curator Kevin Kraft sat down with her for an interview. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the project you're working for right now uh, for Jack Straw? So the project I'm working on is a manuscript called Cargo, and it's a full-size manuscript of poems, which is really, it's big right now, the stack, but it's unwieldy. So this residency, the goal of this residency is to give it some shape and some structure and a little more focus, weed out the things that no longer belong. What does the title Cargo refer to? Mm. Cargo, um, there's a poem in the book called Cargo, which came about when there were a, a series of happenings at the port in Seattle several years ago where people kept being discovered inside cargo containers. They were being smuggled and being discovered inside the cargo containers. So the poem that has the name Cargo is is about that situation of people on a ship, working on a ship, hearing voices. They can't figure out where they're coming from, and so they're trying to find them in the cargo, and they can't, and they're haunted by that later. But really, it, it's it, it, I chose it for the whole manuscript because, to me, what's fascinating is all the stuff that we bring with us as we move through life, and it's really individual, it's invisible, it's interior, and then it's gone when we're gone. And so trying to get some of that out of my own experience onto the page, I feel like my poems are my cargo. And so that's where it came from. You're a stowaway inside that's, them. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, they're myster- the contents are mysterious. I, I'm always fascinated by those containers down at the port because they all look the same, but they're full of strange things. And in one of those stories about the stowaways, one of the containers was full of human hair, which was being transported for wig making. And just this very strangeness of that, that this very normal thing, hair, but in great quantity becomes very weird. And with people stowed inside, it becomes even stranger. And that we're shipping it across the globe to go from one head to another head. Just all that very strange human behavior is fascinating. What you might call the natural absurd. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the natural surreal. The everyday surreal. The everyday mm-hmm. surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, why don't we hear a poem? Okay. Jaguar poem. I want the poem to move like this accidental jaguar. I am driving over the highways of L.A. Because the boss of my brother handed him the silvery fob to the car my poem should dress like. With its silky chrome and heavy leather, its couch-sized back seat, which never until now has known a car seat's creases, because children are an impossibility inside this car, this ageless capsule of premium steel and tinted glass. My poem, it knows no wrinkles. I want my poem to eat the road. I want palm trees looking indifferently into the sunroof of my poem, a little gesture of white cloud in the clear blue sky that glows around my poem and carries it forward 
just a thin white trail, a few strands of hair left behind when California turned her cheek to find a cool spot on the pillowcase of my sleeping poem. I want beaches to the west of my poem and mints and hot pink condoms in its glove box and purring tires and a trunk lid weighty enough to keep all the unseemlies out of sight. I want the valet who parked my poem to hand me the keys although I have no proof of ownership. I shrug at him and twenties spill from the pockets of my poem and fold themselves into blackbirds and float up to rest on his shoulder and sing silently in his ear. I hear the quality of tracking and stalking and discovery <laughs> in that poem. Mm. You're actually literally following a poem, mm -hmm. call it asking the poem to call you forward in a way. Mm -hmm. um, I hear in it some stark and interesting contrasts between, let's say, the everyday world of work and family and this, you know, sort of almost Hollywood fantasy <laughs> of, you know, driving away with one's art, you know, getting carried away um, by it. What is it that you feel coming through this poem that is both similar to or maybe different from other poems uh, that you're working on right now? Well, that tracking quality is something I'm trying for. That's when it feels the best, when it's sort of urgent and insistent, but it's making discoveries as it goes, too, yeah. the way that a luxury car might. Mm. Um, and so the the voice of this poem, I feel, is that it's that voice on the shoulder whispering mm. in the ear or maybe murmuring in the ear, like, let's do this. What if we did that? Now we'll hear a selection from Emily's live reading. Origin. It began with the eyelet nightgown. It began with the lick of hot sauce. It began with the bleeding heart bush. The stars took over. It was always morning. It began with the babysitter kissing, his brown hand on the back of her white t-shirt. The parents never went out. Where did the parents go? It began with the pulling shut of the turquoise curtains in the long brown Buick station wagon. We walked everywhere we went. The oldest sister took a train. The town was near nothing but corn. We were the only ones growing. It began before the beginning. It began and started running. The last bell just rang, the first crow just cried. The only film we see is silent. It began with a miniature mug of root beer. It is buried in water. We were tadpoles, we were fish, we were drowning, we were frozen in place. We are still leaping into the sprinkler. The lights in the tunnel flash our faces. All is dark. There's our faces. All is dark. I'm rearranging here on the fly. I told Martha, it's game time decision how I'm reading these, these poems. It's game time now. Uh, so this, this poem is uh, called In the Den of Disappointment. 
Um, it came about when I just, I don't know why, but I, I had a sort of flight of fancy imagining, what if all my minor disappointments in life, like not the major ones, right? Not disasters and devastations, but like the minor disappointments, what if they were all in one room together? <laughs> How would that feel? And what would that look like? It's not pretty. In the den of disappointment. There's a spot in my brain filled with nothing but failure. A tarry soup pot with a broken kite floating in it. Abandoned poems. The paper number from that bad biathlon when I did not know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> a dozen lumped gunny sacks tied off and piled in a corner. They look a bit too much like bodies. Half-birthed ideas, starved for oxygen, and given up. If you have ever smelled burnt hair in a bar with too many candles, you have smelled my attempts at nightlife. <laughs> also, the too tight tango shoes, one heel in a crust of dog deposit. Beside them, the stack of dollars slowly burning. Ghosts of letters I meant to write, sex with Daryl, the hateful landlord, the pellet furnace gone cold, the toilet water frozen, a class on economics that resembles, I don't know, a carcass of a rat nested in a cluster of all my insights into the causes of inflation. The baby carrier like a straitjacket. My mother in the dim aquarium light, her stillborn joy at our outing the dried-up basil plant, the terrible tahini noodles. How the long-awaited Italian frescoes were just paintings because I was so hungry, and I looked at them like a frog might. <laughs> In the den of disappointment, my minor fuck-ups are free to do as they please. They lean against the walls and pick at their single neck whisker. They do not set a little world ablaze. They do not steam into someone's locked heart. They suck their teeth and pull the covers up. And in the tent that's made, no one can see as they stroke the ragged, bruisey spot and relish how it lingers. All right, so <clears throat> there's a small section in this book um, that is the sex ed poems, um, and they're, they're chiefly concerned with confusion uh, and misapprehension and mistakes. Um, and this is one of them, so this is called Years of Practice with Flesh and Blood People. <laughs> and um, it, it was inspired in part by my rediscovery in a box of my belongings of a book called Love and the Facts of Life which um, a friend of mine in high school and I stole from the library. Um, and why we stole it, I don't really recall. I think that counted as subversion in Utah in 1989. Um, but we stole it not because we needed information. Of course, we knew everything. But um, because it was so hilarious. I mean, it gave some really funny advice. Um, for example, if... If a date is going fine, but then the young gentleman begins to move too quickly, then one thing you can do is laugh lightly and hand him his hat. <laughs> Years of practice with flesh and blood people. You may have questions. <laughs> 
Do you have to pet to be popular? What if you use the family car? How does a smart girl know how far they mean to go, how well they can tell when to stop, how to stop? You do not have to guess. Changes in his sex organs will be obvious. <laughs> the usual frequency is every night or so, a series of ins and outs, a burst, a lull, then sleep, and no, it is not at all like the egg you had for breakfast. It is as though each girl were a train tracking from beatnik to buffoon, and where childish down once grew, now grows a somewhat tangled curl. You should know, left unleashed as lightning, a boy who is firm with no effective harness will often lead you right into some sort of a sex jam. So. <laughs> Enjoy boys as persons, but hand a fellow his hat when his testes begin to do double duty, when his tongue is loosened by the odors of the mature body, and guard against the urge to pet the wolf of either sex, to join the love pirates in their play or conquest or treasure map game, which is really another name for an aloneness no touch can tap. Love is not to blame when you sit like that in his lap. <laughs> okay, there's another small section. Um, I call these poems the fragmentary poems, and they came about because I found in a grocery cart a piece of paper that someone had scribbled a, a grocery list on and then left behind. Um, which is not that interesting. But when I turned it over, what I discovered is that what they had used was a list of aphorisms to live by, but the list was torn in half. And I thought, how appropriate, that's how I feel. I know half of the rule. I don't know the rest. So I've been writing the rest of the rule, um, starting with the original advice and then finishing it. This one's called On God and Driving. Trust in God, but lock your car, because because you never know when God might decide to take it for a joyride. Just to feel the thin, slightly sticky, slightly dry leather of the steering wheel, the skin stretched around the metal, to feel the tires grip the road, to push the needle until it quivers like a lip. A car can be a coffin, and God might like that a little bit. <laughs> All right, two more. So um, there's another series. I write small series, and then I move on, um, of memory poems. And I, I stand with Aaron in staunch opposition to Billy Collins. <laughs> My poems are all memories. If I couldn't do that, what would I write? Uh, this is called hoc est corpus, and that's um, it's a phrase from the Catholic Latin mass, this is the body, uh, said at the moment when the the transubstantiation takes place. So the, the bread is turned into the body of Christ. Um, it's also the phrase that is thought to have been the origin of the magician's phrase, hocus pocus. So hoc est corpus deliberately corrupted into hocus pocus. Remember when you were the only audience member for the magic tricks? Look, she said from the doorway, and stuffed a crinkle of paper up her sleeve. And look, she said again, 
and yanked the ratty toy dog out of her cuff, its pink plastic eyes staring at you through the scratches. Did it see you, that dog? Or did it see the scratches? Or did it see you as you really are, all scratched up yourself and beyond the wash rag's reach? It makes you think of other magic. There is the trick of making salt water with your face, and the trick of walking beside the boy as if your borrowed shoes were not too small, and the trick of making the kissing work with him when you didn't feel like kissing. There is the trick of eating the lukewarm pasta in the gluey sauce, eating up a bowlful, because the hostess threw her own birthday party and was sad, sad, sad. There is the trick of breathing when the Clydesdale of dawn has its hoof on your heart. And there is a whole magic show of visiting the neighbor on his deathbed, of making his roomy eyes disappear, of picking your way out of the iron padlock of his grip. There is the magic trick of making the shiny gem eclipse the neglected mop and the trick of forgiving the one who said the meanest thing, and the one of convincing yourself you forgave her. There is the moment you let the saw blade decide your center. There is the burst of doves from your chest. There is the way we weave our hands together and breathe, yes, no, the elephant isn't standing there, even though the elephant sees us with its tiny wet eye and knows that it's really we who aren't there or who won't be in a moment when the black silk finally falls. All right, last one. So um, there are the sex ed poems and then there are just the straight sex poem. Um, confusion and, you know, Mastery. No, I, I'm kidding. Um, but, you know, like youth and adulthood, maybe. Um, and the, the trigger for this, this poem is brought to you by request um, of Janine Walker. So it's, uh, it's, it's sort of a, a 20 year late thing because I, I had a little more than that. I had a, a revelation when I was 17 that changed my life in the way a revelation when you're 17 can do. And the revelation was that every single compound word is a great word. Try to think of a bad one, you can't. And so I had this revelation, I, I've loved compound words ever since, but I had never written the poem that pays tribute to them um, until I wrote this a short while ago. And uh, it's called A Compound Invitation. Come upstairs and get under this bedspread. Uh, my husband's in the room right now. Hi, John. Come upstairs and get under this bedspread. Be my seed pod and my sleepy head, my bath water and my bull rider, my pinwheel and road runner and live wire. Come, let us make fireworks in a fishbowl. Drive a hovercraft into a whirlpool. My sweet searchlight, my greenhouse, my wildlife. Bring your necktie to my borderline and nosedive. Outstretch yourself onto this salt lick, my middleweight, my jitterbug joystick. This afternoon, half grapevine and half goldenrod, 
Why don't you come upstairs and demigod around this pasture land? <laughs> Discover a butterfly rock slide. Pick a quicksilver rosebud. Listen, I am calling you. My water spout, my moon boot, my skyline, my skin-tight jumpsuit, my cakewalk, my dark room, my knuckleball, my cloudburst, my gooseneck, my nightfall, my kite string, my egg cup, my voltmeter, my passageway, my matchbook, my brain fever. Take off your overclothes and your underthings. There is a gold mine in these box springs. <laughs> Stay, and we will hog tie the hourglass, fist fight the undertow, and outlast the treadmill. We will refuse to break the wishbone, and we will thunderclap the gravestone. Be my arrowhead and my angelfish. My wingspan and daybreak and onrush. Give me your everythings for my everywheres. Get under this bedspread and come upstairs. Thank you. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2015 curator of this program is Kevin Kraft. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Daniel Gunther and Levi Fuller. Recording engineers are C.J. Lazenby, Tom Stiles, Mo Preventure, Daniel Gunther, and Steve Tatori. Narrator is Alyssa Keene, and executive director of Jack Straw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by St. Helens String Quartet, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>